I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When a beloved educator is mysteriously murdered in her own home. I seen her lying at the foot of the steps. She felt cool to the touch. No one in Lynette, Alabama can figure out who'd want to kill Charlotte Waits, especially when her husband's the town mayor. It was just hard to believe it was our mayor pro tem's wife. Who could have done such a thing? Is it a contentious relative, a delinquent neighbor, a vengeful boyfriend, or someone much closer to home. It became an issue in the community because people no longer felt safe in their homes. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Cozied up to the Georgia state line, the sleepy town of Lynette, Alabama, is known for its textile mills and good old-fashioned southern charm. But the fact is, Lynette is actually a little ahead of its time. One hour faster, that is. One unique thing about this Lynette area is it's on a different time zone from the rest of the state. It's on Eastern time. But drive anywhere else in Alabama, and you'll gain an hour, landing yourself in central time. It's like the real-life version of Back to the Future. When you live with two time zones, you often show up for things at the wrong time. So folks here need to go with the flow. And that's just fine with 49-year-old Charlotte Waits. This sweet-natured brunette is a councilman's wife and a working mom with a passion for education. After teaching for nearly 20 years, she's now a full-time school board administrator. Her teaching, you could just see it in her eyes, how much she enjoyed it, and she would get to telling stories about some of her kids that, that was in a class, what they would do, and she would just laugh, you know. Charlotte's husband, Barry, 
now the town's interim mayor, also keeps her in good spirits, as do her daughters, college co-ed Mary and sassy high schooler Danielle. Charlotte was a very, very devoted wife and mother. Most of her free time was spent with her, her daughters. They were a real, real close family. The fun-loving foursome has made a nice life in a charming split-level home on North Second Court. It was just beautiful. It was, it was perfect for them, and they just loved it, and it just fit them. Even though Charlotte no longer hears the pitter-patter of little feet in the house, her daughters still love spending time with mom. And on a sunny day in August of 1998, Charlotte looks forward to the arrival of her oldest daughter, Mary. But little does Charlotte know that her perfect afternoon is about to take a deadly turn. Lynette Police Lieutenant Robbie Bettis is one of the friendliest fixtures in town. With 18 years on the force, folks know Robbie's the one to call when they're in a pickle, and that's just the way he likes it. But for Bettis, crime fighting in a tight-knit town has a downside. In a small town, you know everyone. Sometimes you might have to arrest your best friend, you know, it's just part of it. But if you do it right and treat people the way you want to be treated, hey, it all works out. So on August 4th, 1998, Lieutenant Bettis goes on high alert when he gets an urgent call while on routine patrol. According to dispatch, a woman is in trouble on the north side of town. I just had left the station and the house was approximately less than two miles from the police department. When the call came out that a woman was on the floor unresponsive, her daughter had found her. We didn't know, you know, what we had. But when Bettis pulls up to the house, right away he recognizes it's the home of Mayor Barry Waits and his wife, Charlotte, a couple most everyone in town knows. And when he spots Charlotte's daughter, Mary, outside, he can tell that the situation is dire. She was hysterical. I mean, we're not talking about a little child here. And uh, she said, help my mom. Mary leads Bettis into the house and he spots Charlotte on the foyer floor, near the bottom of the stairs. And uh, the daughter was asking, is she okay? I immediately felt for a pulse, and she felt cool to the touch. It was no pulse. It's a horrible scene. Charlotte, dressed in pants and blouse, is lying face up with one arm out to her side. Her purse and its contents are scattered on the floor next to her. We secured the house and her husband drove up. His daughter met him and said, Mama's gone. At first glance, it looks like Charlotte may have fallen down the small staircase. After all, her right wrist appears to be broken. Perhaps she tried to catch herself during the fall. But on closer inspection, Bettis notices something suspicious. A smear of blood a few inches wide on the front of Charlotte's blouse and he can clearly see that her neck is curiously discolored. I've seen a lot of dead bodies. If your neck's broken or anything, the blood would actually settle back where the trauma was. There was darkening like strangle marks. It looks to Bettis like Charlotte's death isn't an accident at all. Seems he stumbled upon Lynette's first homicide of the year, a case that hits close to home. 
I knew Charlotte Waits, you know. My mom had actually used to do her hair. Charlotte's brother, Eugene, is at work when he gets the tragic news. I fell to my knees, and uh, for a minute or two, I said, what? That was probably the worst day of my life, that, that one day. This grieving family is going to need answers, and quick. So Bettis gets on the horn and rings up the boys of the Lynette Homicide Squad. Lynette Police Lieutenant Richard Carter is an old dog who loves learning new tricks. But even with 17 years on the force, some things about his job never seem to get any easier. It was just hard still to believe that it was our mayor pro tem's wife. Not in this neighborhood, not with his family. Inside the house, Carter picks up where Officer Bettis left off. He too thinks the marks on Charlotte's neck are puzzling. There's no doubt the killer got up close, but did he wrap his bare hands around her neck, or did he use something else to strangle her? The redness on her neck, it didn't appear to us to be ligature marks that you would see in your textbook strangling. While the detective isn't sure how Charlotte was killed, he's certain her attacker tried to cover his tracks by staging this awful scene. Carter doubts the entire contents of her purse would spill out this way from just a struggle. And there doesn't seem to be any money missing or evidence of a home invasion. After checking the windows of the house, the other doors, we didn't feel like there was any signs that she interrupted a burglary. There was no signs of any forced entry. As investigators comb through the Waits' house and dust for fingerprints, they make a shocking discovery in the utility room. They found two towels that were in a utility room area that were covered up that had blood on them. And those towels were actually under some other items so that they were hidden. We had to determine, was the blood there from that night or was it there from a few nights ago? Did she cut herself cutting vegetables or something? While police don't know if these towels were used in Charlotte's murder, they collect them anyway and have to wonder if they were, what type of killer would feel the need to clean up after himself? But whoever was there knew the house, knew the layout, was obviously not a, a robbery gone bad. And no one knows the layout better than Charlotte's husband, Barry. But before officers can question him, the town mayor collapses. He got shortness of breath, we sat him down, we got the medics in there to check on him. They took him to the hospital. I really thought he was having a heart attack, and I felt just the stress of the whole situation uh, had brought that on. It sure seems like Barry's sick over his wife's death, but investigators have to wonder if this grieving husband might be behind her demise. So is this spouse to blame, or was someone else lurking outside the Waits' home? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. In Lynette, Alabama, it's said the dead are gone, but not forgotten. And the day after Charlotte Waits' murder, folks vow to remember a good friend, whose fate they wouldn't wish on a worst enemy. And by covering the Charlotte Waits story, Valley Times reporter Anne Holliday is able to pay tribute to Charlotte. The murder of Charlotte Waits was big news. She was a good person, and she was well-liked in the area. And we did a special story. And the Lynette PD's detectives are hoping to write the ending to this murder mystery. But before they can do that, they have a few questions for Charlotte's husband, Barry, the town's interim mayor. Problem is, Barry was rushed to the hospital with chest pains after learning of his beloved wife's murder. The night that Barry went to the hospital, uh, we sent a DA's investigator there to the hospital to check on him. Uh, but due to his condition, they weren't able to talk to him or question him. And while Barry's recovering, the autopsy report comes in. The ME quickly determines that Charlotte was not sexually assaulted. It's no mystery that Charlotte was strangled. But the coroner is surprised when he realizes what the killer used to end Charlotte's life. She was strangled with her blouse. There was a string that was inside of her blouse that they found during the autopsy, and they deemed it to be the ligature that was used during the assault. And at some point during the attack, Charlotte's head was slammed to the floor, fracturing her skull in two places. 
Chances are Charlotte spit up blood during the ordeal, leaving the smear on her blouse. Lab tests confirm that the blood on the towel in the laundry room was Charlotte's, and that the killer tried to clean up the injury with the towel. When we try and picture things through her eyes in those final moments, you realize the fear that she must have been going through. And that makes investigators even more determined to track down her killer, a man who used size to his advantage. After hearing the autopsy report, we knew that we were looking for somebody big and strong. It kind of helped us have a picture of the type of person that we were looking for. And right now, police have their eye on husband Barry. And when doctors determine his extreme reaction to his wife's death was just a bad case of anxiety, they release him from the hospital. Police ask Barry if he's up to a chat, and he offers to come down to the station. He has no problem relaying yesterday's events, claiming he ran some errands and stopped home for lunch, as he often did. He said when he got home, Charlotte was there. She had just gotten home from getting her hair cut. He said they talked for a bit, chit-chatted. Barry swears that when he kissed his wife goodbye around noon, she was alive and well, so he headed back to his office. And he insists that's where he stayed until his frantic daughter called with the terrible news later that afternoon. While police have no reason to think the good mayor is being anything but truthful, they still plan to check his alibi. He just was not the typical person that you would ever dream would kill somebody, much less his own wife. Everybody looked at Barry as a big teddy bear, big nice guy, would never harm or flee took care of his wife, took care of his family. But before detectives put Barry aside, they ask if he knows anyone who would want to kill Charlotte. And it doesn't take long for Barry to throw out a name. 17-year-old Jeremy Hausman. Seems the bad boy ex-boyfriend of daughter Danielle had a bone to pick with her parents. And as a matter of fact, Charlotte and Barry told Danielle that she was not able to see him anymore. They didn't approve of him, didn't like him. And rumor has it that after Barry and Charlotte told Jeremy to steer clear of their youngest, he wasn't happy. Barry tells police he's not sure whether this jilted Romeo could be capable of murder, but they should still check him out. Jeremy, he'd been in trouble a bit with the laws of juvenile. He was bad news. Just not the kind of boy that you want your daughter seeing. Sounds like Danielle's troubled ex needs a sit-down with police. And Detective Carter wants some backup on this heart-to-heart. So he calls on a tough guy in town just itching to sink his teeth into this case. Alabama District Attorney E. Paul Jones. His nickname says it all. Well, I've been referred to as a bulldog, and I, and I feel that I can be tenacious, and uh, I rarely take any guff. It's sometimes necessary that you be a bulldog in order to bring out the truth in people. So with this top dog in their corner, police get to questioning the one guy Charlotte's hubby told them may have a grudge. The ex-boyfriend of Charlotte's youngest daughter, Danielle, Jeremy Hausman. And according to a gal pal of Danielle's, the two have been seeing each other behind her parents' backs. The family was not aware that Danielle had even been dating Jeremy Hausman at the time of Ms. Waite's death. When investigators catch up with him at his home, about 15 miles from Charlotte's, 
His appearance fits his rep to a T. Jeremy was about 17 or 18. Rough, T-shirt, blue jeans wearing. Didn't really care about himself, what he looked like. And, you know, he was the party type, liked to drink a lot. Probably just lived a rough life. Police ask Jeremy where he was when the murder went down. And he insists he was at work all day on landscaping jobs and hasn't set foot on the Waitses Street since Danielle's parents warned him to stay away. He was very adamant about the fact that he had not been to the residence. But Jeremy does say the warning didn't mean he'd stopped seeing Danielle. They just avoided her house. Sure looks like Jeremy and Danielle are star-crossed lovers. But was her parents' disapproval enough to send Jeremy into a murderous rage? Did Jeremy start by killing Charlotte and plan to do in Barry next? When police ask that very question, this bad boy is full of nothing but denials. But is he telling the truth? Most time when we interview somebody who's guilty of a crime, they give off certain mannerisms then we can tell if they're lying or not. And he, he didn't give us any of those indications. But police know to take what Jeremy's saying with a grain of salt until his alibi checks out. And luckily for this young buck, his story is a heck of a lot cleaner than his blue jeans. Jeremy's alibi was, was believable. We were able to go to the work where he said he was and verify that he was in fact there. So we were able to eliminate him as a suspect based on what he told us. With Jeremy out of the spotlight, investigators can concentrate on another hot lead. On the day that Charlotte was killed, we were able to find out that there was a meeting scheduled with an attorney because of an estate dispute with a relative. That relative is Nolan Holt. Seems he wanted to get his hands on a prime chunk of real estate an uncle just left the family. While Holt felt he should receive $50,000 of this inheritance, Charlotte and her brother weren't so sure. So we felt that Nolan would have the most to gain by the death of Charlotte. With the dispute going on, we knew that he did have a reason to see Charlotte killed. Was the thought of not getting his part of the family fortune too much for this ambitious relative to bear? And was he willing to do anything to get it? Lynette, Alabama is a city where folks are so friendly, even hairdressers are considered part of the family. And two days after Charlotte's murder, the staff at her favorite beauty shop feels like they've lost a sister. The hairdressers at the hair salon that Charlotte went to, they had taken it pretty hard because they all knew her. And the stylists can hardly believe one of Charlotte's very own kin may be to blame for her demise. Turns out, police have their eye on family member Nolan Holt, who lives just a half hour away. He's been squabbling with Charlotte and her brother, Gene Brown, over a piece of their uncle's real estate that's worth almost $5 million. And we really didn't feel like it was warranted for him to want something because he really had not contributed anything to the latter part of my uncle's life. In fact, the brother and sister had hoped to resolve the problem with the pricey property 
on the very day Charlotte was killed. But Charlotte's life was cut short just hours before the afternoon meeting. Nolan would have had the most to gain by Charlotte's death. So we had him high on that list of suspects. To their surprise, Nolan quickly agrees to a chat. However, he insists on meeting at his attorney's office. Now, police have to wonder, why does an innocent man need to lawyer up? When detectives meet Holt face to face, he isn't the land shark they expect. Nolan is real uh, quiet natured just a kind of a humble type individual. Police ask this mild-mannered man about Charlotte's death, and he again seems innocent enough. He was saddened by her death. He didn't wish this to happen on her, although he wanted the, the estate settled in his favor, but he didn't want her to be killed. Despite Nolan's show of affection, police stick to their guns and fire away. They ask Holt where he was on August 4th, the day of Charlotte's murder. And he says that he was at his job all day in Franklin, Georgia, 40 miles away. He understood that with the estate dispute that was going on, that he would be a likely suspect, but he was comfortable, so he wasn't offended by our questions. Holt even offers up his boss's phone number at the aluminum processing plant where he works as a supervisor. And sure enough, a quick call to the plant confirms he was there. Looks like the only thing Charlotte's relative was after was a slice of the family pie. Even though that they were having this dispute going on and the timing of Charlotte's death, we felt certain that Nolan was not responsible. It seems following the money has led police to nothing but a dead end. This was a frustrating point for us where a likely suspect was eliminated, leaving us with less suspects and not having any physical evidence to go after. You know, it became quite a struggle. So Carter wastes no time landing a new lead, someone who's hiding in plain sight. A young neighbor of Charlotte's named Owen Gardner, who sure knows his way around Juvenile Hall. We knew him from being a local thief, a thug, just constantly in trouble, into drug use and, and things such as that. Police find out those aren't the only skills this sneaky 16-year-old has. He's also a regular Houdini. Seems Gardner skipped town just a few days after Charlotte turned up dead. So we thought that was kind of strange, him up and leaving all of a sudden. Police have to wonder if Charlotte's neighbor paid her a visit, looking for something to steal. And when things didn't go his way, took Charlotte's life, and then got out of Dodge. And he had done this before on some other things he got tied up on, on some thefts. The police would be looking at him, he'd get on a bus and go. Luckily, police quickly learned from his dad that Owen's camping out on his mom's couch in Arkansas. Detectives book a four-hour flight so they can meet Owen one-on-one. -on -one. And when he answers the door, he's not what police expect. He looks a lot scrawnier than the big brute police think killed Charlotte. Owen was approximately 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, he might weigh 150 pounds, 160 at the most. Just a small build, young man. 
But police can't be sure how much size mattered. So they ask Owen if he's heard about Charlotte's murder. He said he did. He saw the law enforcement and the medics that were at the house on that Tuesday night. Owen also recalls that on the day of the murder, he was just at a friend's playing some video games. And in fact, Owen says he's happy to put police in touch with his buddies. We were able to talk to and verify who he was with. He was with a friend in his house and spoke to the friend's mother, and she confirmed that they were there at their house playing video games. With nothing tying Gardner to the crime scene, police have to throw out this baby with the bathwater and wonder if they'll ever get a clean line on Charlotte's killer. But before police can round up another suspect on their own, an anonymous tip comes into the station from a young man. He says there are a couple of bad guys detectives should check out. Perry Shelton and his partner in crime, Tyler Woodward. Perry and Tyler both had pretty extensive criminal records. Both of them were drug users in and out of jail as adults and as juveniles. So they were pretty good suspects to us. According to the anonymous tipster, these two bad boys just don't know how to keep a secret. It overheard Perry talking about robbing the Waits residence and being there when Charlotte came home. And they attacked her and he killed her. After hearing such an intriguing claim, police have to wonder, is Charlotte's killer about to be locked to the crime quicker than they can snap on a set of cuffs? Or is the elusive murderer still slipping under their radar? The tranquil Chattahoochee River runs right through Lynette, Alabama. And folks here love it so much, there's even a famous country song about it. But two weeks after Charlotte's murder, emotions are anything but serene. When you find out uh, uh, that somebody you loved has been murdered, you want to be the one that punishes the one that did this. You want to find this person and you want to take their life away. But it's up to police to play the role of bad cop on this one, and they're happy to oblige. Luckily, they just got their hottest tip yet. Thanks to an anonymous caller, they have their sights set on local varmints Perry Shelton and Tyler Woodward. Well, these two were wannabe gangbangers. They, they were the kind of people who liked to have the reputation for being bad boys. And it looks like this terrible twosome has been bragging about their most recent exploits at none other than Charlotte Waits' house. The story was that it, she surprised the two of them in the course of a burglary of her house and that they, out of fear, killed her. Police don't know what to make of this shocking admission, but they're raring to find out. Since Perry's buddy, Tyler, is currently in prison in Georgia on a drug charge, police head straight to Perry's Lynette apartment. Turns out he lives just a few miles down the road. Perry is annoyed to see detectives at his doorstep, but grudgingly goes to the station for a grilling. He's trouble, and he was mad about that situation. And when investigators tell Perry that a caller is implicating him in a murder, it really ruffles his feathers. He was very irate that anybody would even accuse him of the murder. He was mad at whoever told us that he had said this. Perry insists the caller is a liar, probably someone who has it in for him. But police aren't sure who's fibbing just yet, 
Perry or the Rat. When pressed, the two-bit thug insists he doesn't know anything about Charlotte Waits' final moments. He said that when the murder took place, he wasn't there. And he even said that he didn't know where Charlotte lived. Besides, Perry says, the day Charlotte was murdered, he and Tyler were pursuing a dubious higher calling. Perry, he told me that he had been with Tyler that day. He said that they had gone and shoplifted cigarettes at a local store and then went and sold those items for crack and went somewhere else and smoked them. Detectives don't know what to think of this crazy claim. Perhaps the duo made a beeline for Charlotte's after getting high as a kite. But in this town, it's not every day that a suspect denies committing a crime by admitting to another one. Knowing these two guys, their alibi did not surprise me. It sounds just like what I knew they would do. They're drug users, a petty crime. So to me, it fit their MOs. It probably would only be criminals uh, who would admit to having stolen the cigarettes as part of an alibi for a murder case, right? When police turn the screws and ask how this pair of perps spent the rest of the Tuesday when Charlotte was killed, Perry comes up with a doozy of a story. Seems he and Tyler challenged their buddies to a crack-fueled game of hoops. Let's do it, come on. Perry had no credibility with us. You know, no matter what he said, we didn't believe it. We had to verify it. Had he told us it was raining outside, we'd have to go out and look. Police leave Perry to his wily ways until they can check on his alibi. If he's telling the truth, surely his buddy Tyler's story will match up. Tyler was in prison for a drug crime that occurred in Georgia. So when I found him, he was totally separated from Perry Shelton for a period of some time. When police sit down with Tyler, he sings the exact same tune as his buddy Perry, from the five-finger discount to the drugged-out pickup game. And when police break down the timeline, chances are these two weren't at Charlotte's house when she was killed. Once we get to analyzing it, if these two guys had actually done the crime based on what was told to us, then Barry would have found his wife when he came home that morning. So we knew that even though these guys are shady, that they had nothing to do with this case. To be certain, police round up some surveillance footage that proves Perry and Tyler were at the grocery store that afternoon. And a buddy that shot hoops with them later also confirms their basketball alibi. Looks like investigators are back at square one. It is very frustrating anytime you have a murder and you're not able to determine who has committed that crime. It becomes frustrating not just for the police officers, but also for the family members. And the longer they wait, the more frustrating it becomes. It becomes very important that you get closure for it. But as three years slowly pass, police remain just as stymied as they were on the day Charlotte died. This whole thing went on for years, thinking there was a killer walking the streets, and everybody that knew her tried to keep her memory alive. Who could have done this sort of thing? But there is one suspect investigators just can't get out of their heads. Barry Waits. Even with all these names that came up, he's the one name left that we just cannot eliminate. Much to everyone's surprise, this model citizen is anything but. And when investigators peel away the layers of his charmed life, they uncover a secret motive for killing Charlotte. 
and it blows the case wide open. The man that would do this is cold, calculated, just an evil, evil person. Three years after Charlotte Waits' murder, investigators are breathing new life into her case with an old suspect, Charlotte's husband, Barry Waits. So as the case seems to be getting cold, but to us, we're still working it, trying to find some piece of evidence, some magic bullet that's gonna allow us to find what we need to solve it. So police take a closer look at Barry to see if there's anything they missed early on. Besides serving as interim mayor, Barry's earned a stellar reputation over the past 18 years as a staff sergeant at the National Guard Armory. But now police wonder if he's really the all-star employee everyone thinks he is. We had sought some help from the FBI, and uh, they told us to start looking into Barry's financial dealings at work and at home and see if we can find something there. I began to look at his duties within the National Guard Armory, and I discovered that he was embezzling money from the armory. In 2001, investigators find out that Barry's had his hand in the till. He's already stolen a little over a grand in cash he collected each time the armory was rented out for events. And they're not about to let him get away with it. Barry Waits was charged with a criminal charge as a result of his having taken money from the National Guard Armory. As a penalty, Barry loses his job that year and is also sentenced to six months in jail. Now, police have to wonder, why would Barry take such a gamble? So they dig into his personal finances and start to uncover the answer. We found out that Barry was late on the house payment. He was late paying their utilities. Had he not been a, a mayor pro tem here, the city would have already cut his power off. You know, that's how far behind they were, but nobody really knew that. A closer look at Barry's bookkeeping reveals the surprising reason behind his money troubles. Barry's been secretly playing the stock market and losing his shirt in the process. Once we discovered it, we've had a strong feeling that Charlotte's murder was based on a financial motive. So investigators go back to the real estate dispute between Charlotte and her relative, Nolan Holt. Turns out, at Nolan's urging, Charlotte had considered signing away $50,000 of her inheritance to him since he was family. But maybe that didn't sit too well with money-hungry Barry. He wasn't the nice guy that everybody thought he was. He wanted to be the big shot financially, dreamed of being something bigger than he was. So police talked to Charlotte's colleagues on the school board to see if she confided in anyone about this dispute. And one of them has plenty to say. It was learned that Barry and Charlotte had argued repeatedly about whether or not Charlotte should sign the documents to give away her part of this estate. And they had obviously argued about it the night before the murder occurred because Charlotte told a friend of hers, Barry has just been driving me crazy about whether I'm going to sign this document tomorrow. After all, that would have been Barry's last chance to win the battle and keep the money. That day, Charlotte was due to meet with her attorneys and sign away part of an inheritance that would have been money that would have come to Barry and Charlotte. In the end, with Charlotte gone, Barry pockets $150,000 of the estate. 
But is it literally at his wife's expense? As investigators ponder that question, out of the blue, Charlotte's daughters, Mary and Danielle, step forward in their mom's defense. The turning point for this case was when the daughters came forward and they told us about the way that their father had scammed them out of several thousands of dollars. Seems that when Charlotte's girls found out that their dad was now suspect number one, they contacted police and spilled the beans. Since Barry was a person of interest in their mother's murder, the check for Charlotte's life insurance went to them. But Barry took it, along with her retirement fund, which she had also put in their names. He got a total of almost $250,000 from his daughters uh, with the promise that he would give them other property to make up for it. But Barry never made good on his promise, robbing his own children of any chance of a financially secure future. If you're going to steal from your daughters, what would keep you from killing your wife over money? But with no hard evidence tying Barry to the crime scene, it takes investigators five more years to make sure they have an airtight case against him. The biggest reason we weren't able to move the case forward more quickly is the DA's office wanted a little bit more evidence. They wanted something more of a physical nature. They didn't want to present a circumstantial case. In 2006, based on the bloody towels left in the laundry room, his financial motive to kill his wife, and the fact that he conned his own daughters, Barry is taken into custody. The arrest goes down at his new wife's store in Lynette, where he quickly lawyers up. Barry never confessed to the crime to any law enforcement official. But my reaction when he got arrested for the murder of Charlotte was that of satisfaction. And we're going to hopefully get a conviction. And in November of 2006, investigators get their wish. Barry Waits is convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to 40 years behind bars. The town mayor's downfall sends shockwaves through Lynette. But no one is more surprised than Charlotte's brother, Gene, who never saw this patriarch as anything less than a stand-up guy. The thought of somebody you love so much actually killed your sister, I must say, it's hard, it's hard to process in your brain. I never saw that side of him. He was never an aggressive person. He uh, never heard a you know, a harsh word. It's just hard to even come up with the thought, uh, you know. Based on the evidence and Charlotte's injuries, this is what police believe happened to her on that fateful day. Investigators don't think that Barry planned to kill his wife, but things began to unravel when Barry came home from work on his lunch hour hoping to convince Charlotte not to sign the documents giving away part of her inheritance. In the course of him trying to convince her, they became angry. It escalated from a, a discussion into a physical confrontation. Using all his force, Barry grabs Charlotte by the arms, and as they struggle, he breaks her right wrist. Then Barry pushes Charlotte into the foyer slams her down to the tile floor, and chokes her to death using her own blouse tie, causing Charlotte to spit up blood. He cleaned her up with the towels, put the towels in the laundry hamper, and I think he then left. But before he leaves, 
Barry scatters the contents of Charlotte's purse beside her to make it look like an attempted robbery. He then quickly throws the bloody towels on a pile of dirty clothes in the laundry room and heads back to his office. And just stayed there and let his daughter come home and find her mother uh, deceased at the foot of the stairs. I think Barry is, is one of the worst individuals that's been on this earth. You know, a man who's gonna kill his wife over money and not have a bit of uh, remorse over it. That's what prisons are made for. The type of individuals that, that belong in a cage, stuck far from society. That's where he belongs. And that's where Barry would have stayed. But after repeated attacks behind bars, he dies just five years into his sentence. Charlotte's daughters will always remember their mother, whose bright personality touched the hearts of so many. And for the residents of Lynette, with their murdering mayor out of the picture, they can get back to life as they know it, while taking at least one good lesson to heart. You know, the fairy tale marriage, there is no such thing. What people see on the outside is not always what goes on behind closed doors. You may have this man living next to you who you think is the greatest husband, greatest father in the world, and then turns out he's one of the most cold individuals that you could ever believe. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.